Makers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. Handling the board for us today is Mouseketeer John Dunn, and answering the phones is DJ Starship. If you want to join our conversation today, you can call us at 813-239-9663, and DJ Starship will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813 813- Four three three oh eight eight five. Today's guest is a former investigative reporter for the Orlando Sentinel who spent a decade covering Walt Disney World, which is now engaged in an epic political battle with Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature. Jason Garcia is now an independent journalist focused on how businesses influence public policy from Tallahassee to City Hall. He publishes his work through a Substack newsletter called Seeking Rents. The title is a take on the term rent-seeking, the act of exploiting the political process to increase revenue or profits. There's been plenty of rent-seeking going on in Tallahassee this session. Looking forward to talking about it with Jason Garcia. Welcome to the show. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Jason, uh, this is Tom. Let's start with the biggest business of all in Florida, Walt Disney World, the largest <laughs> private employer in the state. Last year, Disney angered Governor Ron DeSantis by publicly criticizing one of his signature pieces of legislation, the Parental Rights in Education Bill, better known as Don't Say Gay. DeSantis retaliated by getting the legislature to pass a law to eliminate the Reedy Creek Improvement District, the quasi-city government the legislature created in 1967, and which Disney has controlled ever since. The legislature ultimately didn't kill the district, but instead replaced its governing board with one appointed by DeSantis. But before the old board was dissolved, it turned over much of its power to Disney World, enraging DeSantis, who threatened to build a prison next door to Disney World. When the new board voted last week to rescind the actions of the old board, Disney immediately sued DeSantis in federal court, and just yesterday, the new board sued in state court. Jason, we have this really unusual situation where Republicans who have gotten millions in campaign dollars from Disney over the years are now treating the company like a political pinata, while Democrats um, are running to its defense. How did we get here? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting tale. And one, th- one thing I'll add is, is the retaliation against Disney? It happened uh, after it spoke out, spoke out against uh, the parental rights in education, aka "Don't Say Gay" bill. Yes, but it also happened after Disney announced it would stop making campaign contributions. And Disney uh. has been one of the single largest uh, campaign donors in Florida politics for many years now. So that was a lot of money that got taken off the table. Most of it, which had gone to Republicans in Florida, since they control both the governor's mansion and the uh, the Florida legislature, so I think uh, that played a big role in the sudden willingness to uh, to really turn on Disney like this. And they felt like um, they had nothing right. to lose, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It it, it often gets sort of cast as this sort of uh, you know high minded issues debate, but there's a there's a really sort of uh, you know, underlying undercurrent of money and campaign finance in there too. Um, but you're right, it's created some really strange bedfellows um, in this sense where 
you know, Republicans uh, in Tallahassee who have been more than happy to give Disney almost everything it wants over the years um, are suddenly now, uh, at least until very recently, sort of vocally criticizing the company. And it goes right to, to Governor Ron DeSantis, too, right? Like, um, just to give you one quick example, the session before last year, so 2021 session, the governor was pushing this bill that was um, it was it was another one of these sort of posturing bills, but it was supposed to crack down on alleged censorship to uh, to uh, by social media companies. And just before that bill passed, the governor's staff helped Disney get an exemption from that that law. They helped get yeah. a specific carve out for Disney. They work with Disney on this, you know. So Disney has has had plenty of influence up there. Um, but that has all changed now that uh, Disney has become essentially a culture war issue in the in the governor's nascent campaign for president. Well, and interestingly, Disney was actually slow to respond to the don't say gay bill. I remember there were some of their staff and fans were encouraging them to respond. And Disney, after after Walt Disney was gone, was actually a very progressive in a lot of ways and hosted gay pride events. They had the Disney gay days were a really big deal for a long time at Disney. Right, right. That, that That's one of the many sort of ironies in this, in that Disney only spoke out against the law after sort of internal pressure from employees who were really upset that the company wasn't doing more. And to this day, you know, a lot of those employees that pushed the company to act are still disappointed the company didn't sort of actively lobby against it uh, to try and stop it in the first place. You know, so, so Disney ended up, taking this kind of milk toast opposition after the fact mm -hmm. that the, the governor then seized on to sort of claim this was some woke company trying to sort of impose its will on the people of Florida. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. And our guest is Jason Garcia. And we're talking about this epic battle between Disney and Ron DeSantis. And as we were saying earlier, Disney has had this really great privilege in the state of Florida for a long time since 1967. 67. How unusual is that? We know Disney is a special district. There's all kinds of special districts throughout the state. How unusual is the power that Disney has? Yeah, that's a great question. There are there are hundred there are actually a couple of thousand special districts around Florida, I, I believe, um, but there is none like the the former Reedy Creek Improvement District. the The best way to think of what a Disney special district is essentially a municipal. It's a city government. It's got almost all the powers of a of a city government, short of running its own police force. Um, and, it has and its own was, fire department, right, Jason? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, it runs its own utility department. It's got, um, it does building permits. It does zoning. It does all the functions you would think of of a, of a local government other than criminal justice. Um, and this was, as you said, this goes back to when Disney first came to Florida. This was part of the, the inducement package to get Walt Disney to commit to building mm -hmm. his East Coast theme park in Orlando. And the, the logic of it was, from Disney's perspective, was that it was going to give us uh, a sophisticated government that would sort of be able to sort of process our plans, which weren't going to be like the sort of construction or the sort of development that, um, you know, Orange County, Florida, to that point had ever seen, and that they were going to be able to do so quickly and turn it around in a way that let us 
you know, build our business as quickly and exactly as we wanted. And, and that's, go oh, ahead, go ahead. As an observer for a long time, what kind of government did they run? I mean, was, was it a, yeah, you used was it a good actually, government, bad government? What, what, do you, what do you think about how they handled things? You used to actually cover Reedy Creek Improvement District uh, Commission meetings, just like a city council meeting, right, Jason? So <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's to, right. I used to go there every uh, month. I was sitting yeah. in the meeting. So to Janet's yo, point, yo, how'd they do? Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I actually once wrote one of my favorite stories I wrote on the beat was about sort of Reedy Creek and just sort of like the just sort of the sort of bizarre nature of the whole thing. But I will tell you, you know, I started my career covering local governments in in Orange County and some of the suburbs of Orlando. The Reedy Creek Board of Supervisors was the most sophisticated and the most aggressive uh, and on point local government I had ever I had ever come across. The hmm. questions they would ask in meetings would be sharp. They would be pointed. They would push back against staff on stuff. But on the flip side, they never rejected anything. I remember um, doing a writing the story and talking to all of the the board supervisors on there, and nobody could remember. Not only could nobody ever remember something that had been denied. They could not remember a vote that had ever been anything other than unanimous. Although oddly, um, that so, would be because everything that is being asked was being asked. They were asking themselves to approve it in a sense, weren't yeah, they? But, yeah. But, I mean, let's, that, let's stop for one second and explain how Disney controlled that board. Because uh, yeah. from what I understand, uh, only landowners could be elected. They were elected supervisors. They had that, to be landowners. Uh, but, you know, there were people who obviously were not landowners who ended up getting land from Disney so that they could be on the board. Is that the way it worked? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the the, the elections in the Reedy Creek District were decided on the basis of uh, one vote for every acre of land you owned. And, and this this is a few, this math is a few years old, but I bet it's still roughly accurate. But the, the Reedy Creek District covered about 24,000 acres. Disney owned two thirds of that acreage. Um, the next, uh, the next, so Disney had about sixteen thousand. The next largest private landowner, so meaning other than the district itself or other governments, only had like about four hundred acres. So Disney controlled those elections. The other rule was you had to be a landowner in the district to be able to serve on the board of supervisors. So what would happen is when Disney had someone that they wanted to essentially appoint to that board they would give them a five-acre five tract of land within Reedy Creek. Now, it was always on this, this is five acres uh, in the middle of nowhere on undevelopable land, and they had to sign a contract that said if they ever left the board, they had to give the land back to Disney. But that was sort of one of the ways. That, that was how you got onto the board. And, and the story I mentioned earlier, part of, part of what had set that off is they had, like, the first opening on that board that they had in, in many years. And so – I was I was telling this the the story of how these elections work, but also talking to board supervisors about how did how did you wind up on the district? And most of them, you know, they didn't really know. Disney just sort of approaches people that either have a long history of working with the company or working with the district. So like the people that would serve on the board, at least at the time that I was doing it, included the guy who wrote the legislation creating Greedy Creek. There was also a guy who'd been like the district's first district administrator. So it's a it's a these people don't work for Disney, but they are they are on this board entirely by grace of Disney. So we're talking Disney v. DeSantis. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 and tell us where do you stand on this issue? Yay, Disney? Boo, Disney? We want to hear from you. You can also send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. In the opening, Tom was talking about how originally the legislature wanted to just eliminate the Reedy Creek 
Reedy Creek Improvement District altogether. That ended up not happening, and instead there was this DeSantis handpicked board replacing the the old board. What happened to that bill? Why did they not eliminate the district? Yeah, this this whole thing has just been one hand-handed game of uh, whack-a-mole out of Tallahassee. But you're right. The very first thing they did was uh, was pass a bill that just scheduled a, a dissolution of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. So it would have it would have gone away. It would have reverted back to Orange and Osceola County would have been the governments in charge of the local governments in charge of it. Um, but what they quickly realized after that, in part because local officials raised so many alarms, is the, the district carries a lot of debt. They borrow money to build roads and parking garages and to build, you know, utility uh, infrastructure. So there's carrying a lot of debt. And if you just sort of dissolve the district, that debt gets passed on to local taxpayers. So this immediately became like a little bit of an embarrassment for Governor DeSantis that in his uh, zeal to punish Disney, he was potentially harming local residents in central Florida. So that's where they, they turned around and they came up with this idea, well, we're not going to dissolve Reedy Creek. We're going to essentially keep it exactly the way it is. We're going to take away a handful of essentially cosmetic powers that were never used or hadn't been used in decades, um, but otherwise leave it largely untouched. The only thing we're going to change is instead of Disney choosing the land, the the board of supervisors, Ron DeSantis is going to um, choose the board of supervisors. And now a lot of us pointed out at the time that isn't better, right? That, you know, Reedy Creek has been really, um, you know, a subject of some controversy over the years because of the the sort of special privileges it provides Disney and this this kind of advantage it Disney gets out of having its own personal municipal government that that um, you know other companies don't have that same sort of advantage, right? But but so no no private company should have its own city government that exists only to serve it and that it <laughs> entirely controls. But at the same time. No single politician should have the power to control a government that exists to serve one big one big entity, right? I mean, it's it's just creating creating the same sorts of problems, except uh, with with Ron DeSantis in control instead of Disney, right? There's there, there's all sorts of good governance problems with the the approach they turned to, but that's how they ended up there. Is they realized they had to keep the district in place. So the the punishment came, uh, we're going to give control to the governor instead of Disney. The thing about this, though, Jason, is that the Reedy Creek Improvement District is basically providing basic government services, right? Infrastructure, building roads, fixing potholes, providing a fire department, things like that. So with uh, the governor's appointees now, they, they have taken over already, right? They've had, what, two meetings already? Yeah, I, th- I think they may have just had their third. So what could they do? to hurt Disney, because that seems to be the goal that the governor and the legislature have, is to put these folks in place and then mess with the company. What could they do to them? Yeah, well, the, you know, think about, again, just the sort of general powers that um, uh, a local government has, and they can sort of exercise those to a certain extent. The, the most obvious one is they could, they could um, raise taxes on Disney, right? Disney is the, Disney pays about 90% of the property taxes in Reedy Creek and Reedy Creek, just like any city charges a property tax to pay for all the services it provides. They can raise, uh, raise those taxes, make Disney pay more for projects that Disney's not really interested in paying for, right? They could also deny projects. So the, 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 the basic sort of blocking and tackling re- reason Disney or Reedy Creek exists 
is to build the roads and that infrastructure that Disney needs to develop its theme parks, its hotels, its timeshares, and all that other stuff. Um, they could refuse to build roads or refuse to build them in the way that Disney wants them. You know, there, there's a lot of different pinch points um, that they could exercise. And that, and that gets into how Disney tried to, to sort of get around that by signing this long-term development agreement that has led to this kind of third round of retaliation that we're seeing right now. Well, um, I, I lived in Orlando, worked at the Orlando Sentinel. I was there when Epcot opened. And, and uh, I think one of the things that Disney always claimed was they provide services at a much higher level than any city, city government does. Um, uh, for example, I understand their fire codes are much more strict and their fire department, as a result, doesn't really fight very many fires. They're there mostly to help in medical emergencies. So, Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's you, all right. You, would you find that as you... But the, but then of course the advantage that Disney has is if they uh, any other business has to convince the city to fix the road out in front. If Disney wants a road fixed, they just call Reedy Creek and they fix it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, D Disney does pay for this privilege, right? It pays the property taxes for the most part that fund Reedy Creek. There are some there are some tax break perks that come along with controlling your own municipal government too. But for the most part, Disney is funding this itself. But yes, that that essentially customized, tailored, and guaranteed quick, immediate service out of a city government is the big advantage there. If Universal, like you say, if Universal Orlando needs a road built, you know, it's got a lot of uh, influence at the city of Orlando, so it's probably going to happen, but it is not going to be as smooth and seamless a process as Disney getting something done with Reedy Creek. It's going to take a lot more uh, lobbying and time, and there's always the you're dealing with local elected officials who have different constituencies to, to sort of appease, right? So you never know when, when something is going to become, you know, a political hot potato and, and become a real challenge to get done. That is the sort of thing Disney never had to worry about with Reedy Creek. We've got a couple of emails I want to read. Um, we have Dave from Sarasota, who um, quoting a little uh, Leonard Skinner, actually, hope Ron will remember Florida man don't need him and the GOP around anyhow. Florida removers should remove DeSantis. Um, Daryl Burks, who says, um, when do you all run DeSantis out of town? I don't know when he'll be run out of town, but probably likely not until 2024, if that would be the soonest. And then we have an email from Eco Farmers, who, um, Debbie in Plant City. She says, many years ago, I visited the Disney Wilderness Preserve, which managed wild lands, had an excellent educational program, and was using solar technology in the early days. I'm wondering about this now. Of course, anybody that stands up to DeSantis has my vote. So Jason, what about that? Something like the Disney Wilderness Preserve that Debbie, who calls herself eco-farmer, uh, obviously likes what they're doing there. Is that the kind of thing this new board might be able to dismantle? I mean, we have um, the GOP in Tallahassee right now dismantling all kinds of environmental um, uh, regulations. Is that the kind of thing that might do some damage to Disney? That board could take a look at that? Well, a lot of that stuff is going to be under long-term uh, conservation easements that uh, Reedy Creek, or, or I guess now we should be calling it the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District, as they, <laughs> they've renamed it. Um, they, they couldn't necessarily unilaterally cancel, but they do have uh, a lot of ability. I mentioned earlier that Disney owned about two-thirds of the land in there. The second biggest landowner is the district itself. It, um, 
again, going off memory, so the, the acreage may have changed slightly since uh, since I wrote about this, but it was they owned roughly a third of the acreage, a little less than a third of the acreage within the within the boundaries. And that's what Ron DeSantis was alluding to when he had that sort of just bizarre press conference uh, earlier this or last month when he suggested, you know, what could we do with this land? Maybe we could build a different amusement park there. Maybe we could build a prison. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of land that Reedy Creek could potentially um, or the Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board could potentially exploit in a way, um, you know, if they wanted to to sort of be antagonistic to Disney. Well, one of the things you just said, you mentioned that the the Wilderness Preserve would be under conservation um, easements and those last for a long time. So one of the things that's happening right now, and let's just remind everybody of the hilariousness of Disney, the previous board, when they said that they passed the um, new powers of the board and said that they would be in effect until the end of King Charles's reign and all of his heirs. <laughs> um, so, and the, the state is pushing back on that and the, DeSantis is suing and saying that they did that illegally. But what about, you know, Things like Tampa International Airport, which has a long-term lease with International Plaza that current board members don't like, but they can't change it. Or Tampa General right. Hospital that long ago put a McDonald's in the hospital, and it's a long-term lease. I think that these days we might not want McDonald's at a hospital, but, but they've got these long-term arrangements. You know, what's the possibility, you think, of of them being able to undo what that previous board did in what appears to be a lawful manner. Yeah, I will, uh, let me caveat by saying I'm not a lawyer, but there are some like enormous constitutional challenges to what they're trying to do now. So we've, we've talked about the the first couple of rounds. They tried to dissolve the district and that didn't work. So they, they, they created the, they just changed the district to being controlled by Ron DeSantis. And then Disney did this long-term development agreement that, that sort of limits the ability of this new board to, to make decisions on this land. So now this third attempt to punish Disney in the legislature right now essentially tries to give the new board the power to retroactively undo that long-term development agreement, right. this, this long-term development contract. Um, the problem with something like that is both the Florida Constitution and the U.S. Constitution have incredibly strong clauses in them, uh, basically preserving contract rights and preventing governments from retroactively undoing or changing contracts. And and one way, I mean, on one level, it, it's very obvious, right, to, to sort of allow private commerce to, to thrive. You know, people need to be able to make decisions that might outlast, you know, the term of the current governor or something like that. So, so you can't, you've got to put some really strong protections to make sure that that governments just can't come along and change the rules anytime they want. So, so this legislation, if it passes and it's, uh, it, it probably will pass, although it's, it's stalled up right now um, in part, because I think there's a growing number of Republican legislators that are, are realizing this, this, fight is is starting to jump the shark to use a to use an entertainment cliche um are they and, getting our lesson are they getting pressure from, are they getting pressure from their constituents to because at this point it seems like the governor can have it his way with the legislature he there's virtually nothing they'll reject so what what's that what's happening yeah here? i think I think they are starting to get some pressure pr pushback i think honestly the moment people will look back at is when Disney made that, or when DeSantis made that sort of quote-unquote joke about potentially building a prison at Disney World, that that people sort of like, 
wait, this is getting unhinged. You know, what, what, did, what are we what are we really doing here? Right. And you're starting to see a couple of legislators like like one Republican senator voted against this bill to, to try and retro retroactively undo this development agreement. Another uh, Republican House member who had been sort of out front on saying we need to crack down on Disney and take Reedy Creek away. Uh, was just quoted in the Wall Street Journal saying, you know, I'm on the governor's side, but it might be time to leave this alone. I think people Spencer are- Roach, right? I, I read that exactly. Spencer Roach, when he actually, when he floated this idea of getting rid of Reedy Creek, he didn't think he was actually going to go anywhere. And next thing you know, it took on a life of its own. And now <laughs> right. it's like he's backing away from the vehicle because it's about to explode. Like right. the dog catching right. the car. Well, and, right. and just one of the, the some of the rhetoric around this that I find to be particularly amusing is DeSantis saying that that Disney, by creating this long term agreement, um, is is thwarting the will of Florida voters, which is kind of hilarious because I don't recall anybody voting for anybody hoping that they were going to dismantle Disney. Um, however, DeSantis did actually remove from office State Attorney Andrew Warren, who really was elected by the voters. One of the board members at, at um, the new Disney Oversight Board, whatever it's called, Martin Garcia, Martin Garcia is actually the chairman. Is, is the chairman is a, a Tampa lawyer who who actively fought a and won a uh, transportation tax increase that was voted on directly by the voters. So you know who's who's thwarting the will of the voters here? Um, is it Disney or is it um, Ron DeSantis and his cronies? Um, right. We have a um, a caller. I'd like to um, let's get a. We haven't had a call yet, so let's take this call. Um, uh, Nav, I hope I'm saying that right. You are on the yep. line. What's on your mind? Yeah, I'd like to ask your guest, since he's studied uh, Disney for a long time, one thing that I'm perplexed on by Disney, because I'm just focusing on Disney here, is they're a very large corporation. You know, they have, what, 60,000, 80,000 employees? So they're, they're a subpopulation of the Florida population, so that means they're going to have a lot of people that voted Republican and for Ron DeSantis. Maybe the majority of Disney employees voted Republican as opposed to Democrat. And I don't understand why the top brass at Disney catered just to the far left. That might be 10 percent of the Disney employee base. And, you know, that silent majority is never heard. And I think Disney... You know, they, I think they made an error as well in that they catered to a loud minority within their employee base, and they didn't understand that they might not be representing the will of their own employee base overall. Anyways, that's the question I have for the guest. What's your thought on that, Jason? Yeah, I will. Uh, I Thanks will for push the call. Back on this, I, I will push back on this idea that they 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 have been catering and only listening to sort of a, a minority of their guests. And one thing to remember about Disney, it has spent millions of dollars over the last uh, number of years supporting Republicans in Florida politics, right? Including DeSantis himself, right? Um, just uh, 20, we, we mentioned earlier that Disney got this, um, this carve out from DeSantis's censor uh, social media law. Right before that happened, Disney gave DeSantis $50,000, right? Disney had been spending a lot of money to support Republicans in Florida. So this idea that um, they were being led by the by a sort of a vocal left left minority mm-hmm. of workers, um, I don't think I don't think there's any evidence to support that. Now, in speaking up about 
you know, out on the uh, parental rights in education slash don't say gay bill. Um, again, part of that came uh, was was motivated by the fact that a lot of employees were angry that they hadn't fought it, right? That they've right. been leaving it alone and ignoring it. And the other thing to remember is, um, you know, Disney Disney has roughly eighty thousand employees uh, in Florida. The vast majority of those employees are frontline hourly workers. You know, this is not. Um, you know, I think there is. Uh, I, I think it would be wrong to assume that that the the folks that support, you know, that oppose the parental rights of education were a were a fringe minority of the Disney uh, employee base. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of frontline workers that are that are all you know very similarly ideologically aligned. You know, I I, I will tell you I've not seen any polling of Disney employees specifically, but. Um, you know, there has not been any sort of similar pushback that I'm aware of from other Disney employees, you know, getting upset at Disney uh, for eventually getting involved. Right. The only the only place where, um, you know, there's been pushback and sort of support for for the governor and for um, for the legislative action has been from Reedy Creek's firefighters union um and that what that extends from is you know they're they're constantly trying to negotiate for better wages like they Mm -hmm. should like any union should and it's always been frustrating to them that you know in florida a public sector worker like a firefighters cannot go on strike right so their only their only point of uh of political power is to try and influence elections but you know uh, you know it used to be you could not influence elections in reedy creek so the firefighters and and uh the firefighters at Reedy Creek and Disney had always had sort of a fractious relationship. So they've been they've been thrilled to sort of see somebody else take over. But as far as I'm aware of, that's the only uh, that's the only sort of arm of, of what you would consider kind of Disney's employee base, even though we're talking about Reedy Creek employees here that have that have sort of expressed, you know, support for, you know, for the other side of this debate. If you've got a question um, or a comment about Disney v. DeSantis, send us an email at dj at wmnf.org or give us a call at 813-239-9663. Reporter Jason Garcia, who's been covering Disney for quite some time, can answer your questions and respond to your comments. We did get a question from Dave Daniels, and he wants to know, he wants to know how did Disney get around DeSantis's board? So what was that, if we can caps... Uh, Summarize that, Jason, if you uh, real quickly, what was it that they did that sort of undercut um, DeSantis's goal there with this new board? They took some powers away from them, but you could probably explain it in a nutshell better than I can. Yeah, it, it's pretty simple. They, they signed before the board uh, shifted, before the board changed from the Disney elected board to the DeSantis appointed board. They, uh, they and the, the former Reedy Creek agreed to a long-term development agreement that uh, for uh, essentially locks in a bunch of development entitlements and a bunch of uh, commitments on either side and prohibitions. So, so like one of the things in there is that um, Reedy Creek or its successor, the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District, cannot use Disney characters in its uh, in its uh, you know its own materials and stuff like that. So it just essentially signed a long-term development agreement, locking in a bunch of a bunch of future decisions or future rights um, before DeSantis's appointees could take over. And what I found astonishing, though, about that is that uh, the uh, DeSantis administration was completely clueless that that had happened wasn't paying yeah. attention and discovered it only after the new board took over. 
So uh, yeah, this this is I alluded to earlier. This has been one of the most sort of ham-fisted attempts at political retribution I think we've ever seen. Let's just right? chuckle it's, at it, that for a minute. Right. Who's, who's playing just, chess and who's playing checkers here? Okay. Right. Right. It's, it's it's the Keystone cops coming for Disney. Right. First, we're going to dissolve the district. Oh wait, we can't do that. We're going to give it to DeSantis. Oh wait, we missed this. So now we're going to go retroactively undo it. And and now we're throwing in. We're gonna we're gonna suddenly start regulating the monorail at Disney just because. Just because, right? Just we're because gonna, they can. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna build a prison at Disney World just because we were sort of angry that we we've been played a couple of times. Or they threatened so, to mean, build. Just, the governor was also threatening to build affordable housing, and then apparently Disney announced oh, we're going to build affordable housing. Right? Yeah, Disney they, had already they been had announced already it before. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's um, right. Now, now so, the the one thing I just let me stress there though, like it is in one sense very easy to laugh at at some of the stuff, but it is it's also important to remember that there's also some really chilling stuff going on here. Uh, you know. If it, it, I, I have over the years, I spent a lot of my career sort of covering Disney's lobbying influence and sort of the special favors they get out of government. So there's there's nobody sort of that I think is more sympathetic to trying to sort of systematically evaluate some of that stuff mm-hmm. and maybe undo some of the things that shouldn't have been done. But no company, no person, no company should be retaliated against solely because they spoke out on a public policy issue Correct. or because they stopped making campaign contributions. Like. Right. For as, as for as ham-handed as all this has been, it shouldn't be happening at all, and it's really sort of chilling that it is. Right, because you could make an argument for for basically taking away some of those privileges, but to do that to level the playing field, not to silence free speech. Right, that's right, that's right. And there's been an effort to kind of like retcon that kind of explanation for it after the fact, but. Right. All of these folks, including DeSantis himself, were very outspoken about what they were doing. So there's there's no dispute, or there's no, there's no nobody with, with with any sort of sort of critical thinking uh, has any has, has any sort of doubt about what and why they're doing. Stuff. He bragged about it in his book. <laughs> so, I mean, it's in print. Hey, uh, you know, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back after this message. FM presents Tropical Heat Wave at the Cuban Club in Ybor City, May 6th this year. Check us out at WMNF.org for advanced virtual tickets on sale now. $40 in advance, $50 at the door at the Cuban Club. And that is going to be a party. Hope to see you there. Uh, Now, Jason... Uh, I mentioned that you used to work at the Orlando Sentinel, and now you're an independent journalist. Tell us how you are publishing your work, and how can people? Yeah, find I write. It? Yeah, I write on a platform called Substack. It's uh, it's actually become like a really valuable uh, platform for for um, independent journalists, mm-hmm. and it's essentially uh, a, you know it's essentially a blog. Although it's a, they call them newsletters now. What's old is do again, and and so the <laughs> posts. If you if you sign up for a subscription there. Um, you can have every every article I write will be emailed directly to you, and they're also available on the site. And we've set it up for um, uh, one of my goals is to keep everything outside of a paywall. So part of what I part of why I started this was frustration that um, you know a lot of good work happens in Florida journalism still, but but because of because of paywalls and, and paywalls have to exist, right? You can't yeah. newspapers can't be sort of you know, building a car and giving it away for free. Um, but because it gets sort of locked in behind paywalls, it doesn't really sort of get out beyond sort of the subscriber base. So 
I really want to try and build something uh, that tries to take a critical look at, at, you know, sort of corporate influence within Florida government that that stays outside of a paywall. But I do offer voluntary paid subscriptions. And, uh, you know, those have grown in a way um, that has sort of like far exceeded my expectations. So that's been really helpful. And, and the way Substack works is it makes it very easy to sort of run that for a, for an independent journalist, you know, so you can sign up and then the, the, the sort of the, all the kind of nuts and bolts of, of publishing that, that I would have no real idea of how to do on my own is, is taken care of through this, uh, through this platform. And uh, so people can find you uh, Google Jason Garcia Substack and it, it'll should come right up and, and yeah, and, and I've got a website that, that'll that'll redirect to it that's easy for folks to remember. It's www.seekingrentsfl.com, and that'll uh, that'll kick you right to the Substack where you can sign up and then choose a, a voluntary or paid subscription. I, I'm a subscriber, and I can tell you there's a lot of uh, stories that I learned from your newsletter that I'm not reading in the mainstream press. I mean, let's, let's face it, uh, Jason, I don't know if you ever worked in the Tallahassee uh, Bureau of the Sentinel. Or, I did, yeah. yes. And so... A lot fewer reporters to go around there now, right? Yeah, that's right. It's it's a much well, you know. Actually, I should I should say that there's been a growth of some online platforms too. Um, but the, but some of those online know, overall, platforms seem to be kind of pay to play. Yeah, uh, yeah it's not necessarily not necessarily the most reputable. But but honestly, more than more than that, I think that the issue is the experience level of reporters up there is just it's far lower than it than it used to be. Yeah. You know, so there's. There's um, there, there's just been so much loss of institutional knowledge, which is you know, which is really important when it comes to covering a place like the Florida legislature or any government, where, you know, the the stuff that is happening directly in front of you and in these public settings is you know that's that's about one percent of what is really happening there. And so you uh, write a lot about uh, bills that may not be getting a lot of coverage. Uh, maybe we could talk about some. What are your some of your favorite uh, uh, underreported bills or underobserved bills going on right now? It's particularly focused on businesses trying to get tax breaks or special advantages. Yeah. So, uh, favorite is a funny word to choose there because I'm gonna I'm gonna say all the bills I'm about to say here. I uh, I would uh, be thrilled if they never pass. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, favorite is probably not yeah, a good yeah. word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, so one that one that has just blown my mind that it is flying through and it is going to probably pass with with only a handful of votes um, is a bill to protect car dealers, and it is written hmm. entirely by the state's biggest car dealers dealers and and car dealers, by the way, have become uh, one of the most powerful lobbies um, in basically every state legislature in the country. Wow! And it's all. It's all designed to make sure that even as as the market evolves and we get into more electric vehicles and we see more companies like Tesla that are selling directly to consumers, it's designed to make sure that if, if you want like a Ford electric vehicle, you're still going to have to go through a monopoly car dealer to get it. You're not going to be able to buy it from Ford. You're not going to be able to buy it online from, you know, choose and customize your own car. You know, you're going to have to go aggle with a dealer over a, over a, you know, with a non-transparent price and, and over the, you know, the cost of floor mat fees being thrown in at the end. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable to me that I, I don't know anybody that likes the experience of, of buying from a car dealer. And there's this bill flying through the legislature right now that is going to essentially ensure that you have to keep doing that no matter how the, the broader market evolves. So that's uh, that's one that I've written quite a bit about. Um, and, that, and it's motivated. going, it seems to be flying through then. It's, it's oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, 
it's going to pass with I'd, I'd be shocked if more than uh, more than 10 legislators vote against it at this point. Um, you know, and an another bill like this, this is just a this is a really sort of gross bill is there is a, a bill moving that would force the Florida lottery to pay higher commissions to the stores that sell its tickets. So, you know, public 7-Eleven, Circle K gas stations. Right. Right now, um, when they said to, to get these stores to sell uh, tickets, the lottery pays essentially five percent, a five percent commission on every ticket they sell. Um, and, and this adds up to uh, huge amounts of money. This is this is tens of millions of dollars a year for publics alone. Right. These commissions. And there is this bill to raise the commission from five percent to six percent. Um, and the, the, the problem with this is lottery profits, whatever money the lottery has left over, that funds education. Right. Specifically, most of it goes to bright future scholarships. And so raising these commissions will cut the amount of money that goes into bright future scholarships. And in fact, um, there's a panel of independent state economists that have to score every bill for their impact. And they, they say, these are independent folks, they have said this will cut education funding next year by $40 million. But the but the lobby, but lobbyists for Circle K, for 7-Eleven, for um, a couple of companies that own a number of gas stations, they really want this. And so the legislature is going to pass it. Um, and it, the, the debate on this has been maddening because, um, you know, supporters of it have just sort of flat out lied, saying, no, this won't cut, this won't cut uh, education funding. And it's, you're sitting there with a with a staff analysis that is telling you in black and white, it will cut education by $40 million. Hmm, I had not heard anything about that one. Is you, Publix <laughs> behind that as well? You mentioned circle. I don't. Camera. I don't actually think Publix okay. is. Seven Eleven has lobbied for it, and you know I've done some public records requests around this. This, this issue has been uh, first cropped up late in last year during last year's session. At least the first became aware of it, and the legislation originally had been written by a lobbyist for um, for essentially a bunch of gas stations and convenience store chains. Hmm. You're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF, and our guest is journalist Jason Garcia. He has a uh, newsletter on Substack, and he does a great job covering what's happening in the state of Florida and Tallahassee. Um, and um, he covered Disney for a long time. And we've got an email from Gary Gibbons, who's asking back to uh, the Disney conversation, um, wants to know... Um, do we have any idea how much taxpayer money is being spent to play these political games with Disney? Any sense of what that is costing? Yeah, that's a great question. And the short answer is we don't know exactly yet, but we do know it's it's pretty expensive. And I'll, I'll point to two sort of data points. Um, the Miami Herald, uh, shortly before session, had a really good story where they looked at the cost of litigation that the governor's office in the state had been involved in over. It was essentially, it was roughly a dozen sort of high profile and kind of bills, bills that sort of were pretty obviously um, at that minimum vulnerable to constitutional challenges when they were passed. And, and so one of them includes, by the way, this uh, this tech censorship law we were talking about that, that DeSantis helped Disney get carved out of. Um, and they had found that the, the state of Florida had spent more than $17 million just on defense litigation in those suits. The other data point is um, just uh, just yesterday, in fact, the, the or just this morning, the state finally finalized the legislature finalized its new budget for next year, and there is um, something on the order of between five and ten million dollars in that budget just for litigation. You know, hmm. a lot of it is through um, you know there's a, there's this really um, there's this really sort of uh, ominous elections bill that's that's that actually I think it's just passed among other things it, it weakens campaign finance disclosure laws. 
Um, there's money to for the Department of State to defend that law. There's money for the Board of Governors, which is the agency that oversees um, the the state's universities, to defend uh, against legislation that everybody expects to be challenged that that has some real academic freedom implications. Um, so there's millions of dollars in the budget for litigation next year too. None of it is sort of specifically earmarked to uh, litigation over you know the the Disney punishment legislation, but but that's where a lot of the funding will come from now. The, we, we talked earlier about sort of what are what are some of the things the the DeSantis appointed board can do to Disney. Well, you know, they just filed suit and they're a party in the suit that they're, they're a defendant party in the suit that Disney filed. You know, they, they control taxes out there so they, they can actually raise money from Disney to fund their defense, too. So it's not entirely Florida <laughs> taxpayers paying for this, but um, but Florida taxpayers will, will no doubt end up shelling out um quite a bit of money in, related to all of this. Another piece of legislation that you've covered was something that Sean was just talking about um, on the Tuesday Cafe before we went on the air about um, the deal with Mosaic to be using waste from phosphogypsum right. stacks to pave roads. Tell us about that. What's what's going on there? Yeah, this, um, this bill is really interesting. Um, and I, I believe it just passed to the governor. I think it's, I, I think this is a done deal now. Um, and so, you know, if you were talking about it the other day, folks probably realized that, you know, phosphate mining is a huge industry in Florida. So essentially Mosaic is is the phosphate mining industry in Florida at this point. Um, but it generates a bunch of toxic waste called phospho, phosphogypsum that is mildly radioactive and banned for, for being used for basically anything by federal environmental rules. So it just ends up getting piled up in these giant stacks um, that are all around the state called gyp stacks. Um, what this uh, what this bill would do would allow the Florida Department of Transportation to test the use of phosphogypsum in road construction. It can be in, in other countries in the world. They'll they will allow phosphogypsum to be used as like essentially aggregate material uh, when you're building a road. So it will allow um, it will allow DOT here, the state transportation agency, to sort of test doing the same thing here in Florida. Um, that got a lot of opposition from environmental groups. Um, some of that is related to, you know, concerns over potential uh, public health impacts to workers who might be exposed to radiation while building these roads. A lot of it was built around sort of environmental impacts. If, you know, a hurricane or a heavy storm wipes out one of these these roads that was built with phosphogypsum. I think, honestly, though, uh, this is just part of a larger battle over whether or not there should be phosphate mining in Florida. So um, the legislation ended up passing by a pretty su- substantial margin, I think it was. I think it may have been only four votes against in the state senate. Um, hmm. So Mosaic lobbied really hard for this, you know. And Mosaic made the argument that that the people trying to stop this aren't really concerned about this bill. What they're concerned about is trying to just stop phosphate mining altogether. Um, Jason, last week uh, in your Substack newsletter, you had a, a an intriguing story here. But it, the session is almost over, by the way. For those of you who have not been paying close attention, it's going to end in a few days, and some of these bills get abandoned at the last minute. But this bill I wanted to ask you about, your headline was Florida leaders are talking tough about Disney. They may give the company a big tax break, too. Is that still happening? And if so, what's that all about? Yeah, that, that is still alive. Um, and, it, and this speaks to some of we, – we've alluded to some of the irony in, in a lot of this, this sort of the, the performative Disney punishments that have been happening up there. But – you know, even as all this happens, a lot of the issues Disney cares about, like funding for tourism, advertising, are, are advancing just fine. You know, mm-hmm. um, they they have uh, 
the legislature has refused to hear a bill that would uh, close corporate tax loopholes that, um, you know, none other than Matt Gates uh, has said that Disney really lobbies hard to kill, right? You know, so if you wanted to, if you wanted to, to, to be tough on Disney in a, in a meaningful, fair way, maybe you'd close corporate tax loophole's. But that's uh, nobody's got any interest in doing that in Tallahassee. Um, and what this bill is is this has been around for a couple of years, and it, it essentially is a giant tax break for the timeshare industry. Um, the, you know, I'll, I'll save you the, the specifics, but but. Broadly speaking, it would devalue the way timeshares are appraised by property by property appraisers, and by essentially lowering those appraisal values, that would lower property tax bills. Um, and there's there's a for what it's worth, there's a kernel of 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 logic to the idea in that there are a bunch of timeshare owners that have bought timeshares over the years that are essentially worthless once you buy them. You know. Um, and so they get stuck paying property taxes on something that, that they don't think is worth nearly what it's getting appraised at. The problem is the vast majority of timeshares are owned by timeshare inventory is owned by the big developers, mm-hmm. Disney, Marriott, Wyndham, Hilton. Um, and so this bill would cut taxes for, for time on timeshares, which would be an enormous savings to those big developers, including Disney. So, um, so this legislation, uh, you know, had been sort of sitting around for a couple of years and it never really moved anywhere because the, the impact is enormous. It's like it would it would cut two hundred million dollars in property taxes in Florida a year, 80 uh, percent of which, by the way, would be in Orlando and Osceola County, because that's where all the you know, most of the state's timeshares are. Um, but just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the, the House suddenly started moving it. it's like rocketed into position where um, it could pass. It's not it's not clear if it will pass, you know, the. Uh, we should know by Friday, everything should wrap up. Um, you know, lots of bills are alive and will die by the end of the week. Um, so we don't know, but this one is very much in play, this timeshare tax break. If you're just tuning in, we've just got about five or six minutes left. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. We're talking to Jason Garcia about goings-on in Tallahassee and um, this epic battle between Disney and DeSantis. Um, you were, we were talking about um, the, uh, uh, the gypsum stacks and um, bills that are going on, uh, bills that would help those businesses. Another uh, related bill that seems to be moving through is also about um, bans on fertilizer sales. So that's something that um, local governments have tried to do across the, the state to ban fertilizer, fertilizer sales during the rainy season to prevent all that runoff from polluting our, our groundwater and our, our, our water. Um, that goes back to just the idea of preemption, that we've got people in Tallahassee. They may talk about Republicans talking about small government, but it, they really want to try to control local governments. What are you seeing in, in terms of preemption? I think you've done some work on looking at what's going on in, in that arena. Oh, yeah, we've seen we've seen a lot of that this session um, from from relatively small things like um, blocking a, a company that Walmart is invested in that does drone deliveries, uh, got the legislature to pass a law here that that essentially restricts the ability of city and counties to regulate drone delivery companies. So to make sure that these companies will be able to, you know, set up their uh, their uh, drone towers in Walmart parking lots without without <laughs> interference or uh, from from the county commission or the city council. Um, and then there are some really big ones. In fact, what I would say is um, probably the, 
you know, you know, from my perspective, the the worst bill that's passed, and it may end up being the worst bill that passes this session, is the legislature just sent a bill to the to to the governor that prevents cities or counties or any local governments in Florida from regulating any aspect of landlord tenant uh, mm. interactions. And and what that came out of is, particularly over the last couple of years, as as um, you know, as rents have just skyrocketed, and a lot of folks have been sort of uh, the power has sort of the, the the power imbalance between a tenant between a landlord and a tenant has, has just mm-hmm. sort of reached sort of like historically lopsided proportions. There have been a, movements in a number of places around the state to pass things like tenants' bill of rights ordinances. These are just like just bare bones consumer protections for renters. Try to be courtesy, that, let people know when right. the rent's going up it, and how much it's going to go up, and give them plenty of notice. Exactly, exactly that sort of stuff, but. Um, this legislation will undo all of that and it will uh, prevent, so it will dissolve all these tenants' bill of rights that have passed in places like St. Pete and Orlando and Miami. Um, and it will prevent local governments from doing um, anything else like it in the future. Um, and so, you know, this is this has been a huge thing. I, I went back just, um, you know, a little shortly before session and, and went through all the preemptions that had come out of local or come out of Tallahassee over the last 10 years. And that's more than 40. They, they just, Essentially, every time a, a local government passes an ordinance that some big business does not like or some big industry does not like, they turn around and go to Tallahassee mm-hmm. and, and, and try and get a law passed that says local governments aren't allowed to do this. And isn't this you know, ironic, so Jason, coming from Republicans who used to say that the government uh, governs best, that governs closest to the people? But now yeah. it seems to be Tallahassee knows best. Yeah, local control has definitely become sort of one of those ideologies of convenience. Because you can imagine sort of the uproar in Tallahassee if, you know, if the federal government was coming in and saying, you know, Tallahassee can't regulate uh, landlord-tenant relationships, right? You would you would just see, I mean, it would be, you know, Fox News would melt down, right? Um, but but yeah, it's uh, it is this idea of local control is is one that that folks. Uh, politicians only seem to really care about if uh, if the local control is coming down on a side of the issue that they wanted to come down on. Well, I think people in Tampa are learning the impacts of some of these uh, preemptions because uh, we have discovered that we've lost about 3% of our tree cover since the legislature right. prevented Tampa from having strict uh, tree uh, regulations. And now the, the mayor has announced a plan, you know, good for her, but the city is going to start planting thousands of trees as a result of this. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this is on like, we're on like a really dangerous road here. So, so one quick story, um, you know, one of the more ugly ones that came out was uh, in 2021 voters in Key West approved uh, a a handful of referendums that were designed to stop these like monstrously large cruise ships from docking Mm -hmm. in Key West because they sort of, they do all sorts of damage to the coral reef around there. And they, they just like, it, it, like overwhelm the the town with uh, with passengers or right? those monstrous ships, so they pass these amendments to try and stop the very largest of ships and and the the frequency with which they could they could pass they could come to us. The legislature then turned around and passed a bill overturning that referendum and basically allowing giant cruise ships to continue going into Key West. What was that um, we said about the will of the voters? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's know? right. And, but I'm I'm afraid, Jason, we are almost out of time, and. Uh, we are at the final few seconds here. Remember, this is Jason Garcia from Substack. You can Google him and find his excellent newsletter. Um, up next yeah. is um, Harrison Nash with three hours of great music after the 
NPR News. This is WMNF Tampa.